Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insights. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton, and in the studio with me this morning, my good friend and co-host, Lee Cantor. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Stone. So you got to be getting excited about the stuff that's happening out on the on the road this week. We have Alex Shiflett producing. We're delighted to have her. But the reason we do, we got Ryan McPherson out in Vegas doing the Hymns 2016. Did you see all those pictures? Yesterday? Yeah, it was the college game day set. Pretty impressive. What people may not realize is one of our very first trade show conference appearances was with the people who underwrite this show, Training Pros. We have Leanne Langford here with us this morning. We're going to visit with her in just a moment. But that's kind of where we got started on this whole remote broadcast trade show right. thing. And yeah, uh, she, their company was the Learning Curve. That's right. right. We learned on them. <laughs> so on Training Pros, it's a nickel. learning show, right? So they appreciate that. Yeah, that's perfect. So on their nickel, you know, we've gotten pretty good. At it. Exactly. So we really appreciate that. Leanne, welcome back to the show. What's going on in your world? Hi, Stone. Can you guys hear me? Absolutely. Yes. Oh, you, okay. you sound fantastic. Uh, very sweet. What's going on in my role? You know, the same stuff. We're just working with clients and helping them find the talent that they need. And, you know, we offer the free webinars for consultants along with this content from the radio. We just had a webinar, so we don't have another one queued up. But just to remind everybody, we have a whole ton of them out there on our website that are recorded and available for you to take a look at. Right. That's the beauty of doing that. It's kind of on demand once you... Yeah, once we've had it, yeah, it's on demand. It's nice to be live so you can interact and ask questions, but after the fact, you can go back and watch it later. So I don't know if it's just because I'm getting a little bit better now that we have more help here around Business Radio X with the whole social thing, and I'm seeing it more, but it seems like you guys are doing a lot more of this uh, webinar thing this year than you were last. Is that the case, or have you been doing it all along, and I'm just now tapping in? So um, the owners of Training Pros hired a social media manager. Aha. So now we have full-time social media happening, not just whenever one of us relationship managers <laughs> right? get, get a, wild, yeah, a wild idea to do it. You know, So now we have full-time social media person working on this stuff. She, Elizabeth does a great job keeping this going. Nicely done, Elizabeth. If you can get stone tapped in and knowing what's going on, then you are doing your job. So we're glad to have you on the team. Well, this is going to be a fantastic segment. I've known we were going to do this for a little while, probably because of Elizabeth, because I saw some advanced press on this. But uh, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast from Bunnell Idea Group. Like Funnel. From Bunnell Idea Group, Inc., Mr. Mo. Bono. How are you, man? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about what you're out there trying to do for folks you're, you're coming up with and, and uh, helping refine some really big ideas. <laughs> yeah. What we, what we really focus on are people that are in what we call a seller-doer model. So people that have to grow their business, but when somebody says yes to that growth, so they actually purchase something, that same individual is on the hook for part of, at least part of the delivery of those services. Mm. So the same human being that has to grow their business also has to help deliver it. And as soon as somebody's in that role where they have to do a little bit of both, a lot of problems uh, occur. A lot of problems. What are some of the problems? Well, it's easy to get sucked up into the delivery of services. So if you think of a consultant or a lawyer or account manager at a big organization like an Aetna or an Express Grips or an organization like that, 
as soon as a client hires them for something, that same individual immediately gets sucked into the delivery of those and they can ignore their pipeline for their growth right. in the future. The other thing that happens that I think is pretty interesting, we could talk about the behavioral science of this all day long, is most people that are in those roles don't actually like the growth aspect of it. <laughs> what is What are you defining as the growth aspect? Selling. And a lot, lot of oh, those so, people, I can't even use the S word. I can't so even say call it growth. So. Yeah, growth or business. So I'm being vague. Right. Um, so a lot of times we'll call it business development or growth or things like that. Right. But a lot of these individuals hate that S word because it, it brings up these conjures, these images of the used card salesman in right. their hometown or sort of manipulative techniques. And these kind of folks that we work with are really high end. They're very technical in nature. They've been working at their craft. Maybe they're a, a top litigator at King and Spaulding or a top account manager at American Express or something like that. They've been working at their craft for 10, 20, right. 30 so years. So they're really good at that as a practitioner. Yes, but not necessarily as the biz dev guy. Exactly. That's exactly right. We did a, well, I'll tell you a funny story. We were doing a session one time and at a top uh, law firm and one of the top 20 in America. And our facilitator said, as they were finishing up a day workshop, said, hey, how much time have you spent top litigators becoming great at your craft? And one guy immediately said, oh, about 40,000 hours. Wow. So if you work about 3,000 hours a year and you went to law school, it doesn't make doesn't take that many years, right. 15 or 20 years, and you're up to 40,000 hours easily. And then our facilitator said, well, how much time have you spent becoming really, really great at business development? And this guy blurts out, four hours. <laughs> and that includes today. <laughs> I read a book once. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that funny? Now, it, as I would imagine that's a challenge in their firm, right? Because now there was a time where they were just practitioners, right? Yes. They're, that was part of the model was I'm hiring practitioners and then the firm by word of mouth or whatever would you grow. Yeah. And now each of these individuals are being charged with kind of building a book of business. Yes. And that's good job security for you. That's a good imagine. thing for us, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to, now you're kind of filling the gap for them and helping educate them and helping them serve, you know, grow their book of business. That's exactly it. it. The same discipline it takes to become really expert at a field you know, say it's healthcare, and you become this account manager for a Fortune 100 company for your healthcare company. Well, it might take 20 years before you can become a vice president and become the, have the ability to lead a very large account like that. Right. You've probably at that point gotten no training or skill development around growth. You picked up a thing from Sue, who was your manager five years ago, was pretty good at relationship building, and maybe Fred was good at um, creating some demand for services. But you've got, if it's a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle, you might have eight pieces spread out on your table and you're trying to see in between all the other eight. It doesn't seem to fit together. And what we do is we help people learn the behavioral science and the discipline and the techniques, which is really important and really difficult to learn. We can help them fill in those pieces of that puzzle and learn how to do it the right way in the same way that they learn their technical craft over 10 or 20 years. And do you find that they embrace that or is that something that's kind of secondary in their day? Like if, if they were given the choice, they would, I would imagine, do the practitioner component because they feel confident and skilled in that area. You got it. And they kind of procrastinate off and, and you know, I'm good enough or I'm going to get clients because I'm, you know, I'm who I am. Yeah. And then kind of just not make it a priority and kind of hope that they're going to get that word of mouth. Yeah, you got it. Well, at some point in the show, we should talk about manager training because that 
that can help make this happen. But when you think of the actual account rep or, or the practitioner, the consultant, whoever right. it is. Like, especially like a CPA. Do you work with yeah. CPA firms? Yep. So a CPA, that's a different brain type almost. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're asking a person that's just so in their own head and numbers and, and Be nice. nice. Be nice. We have some CPA clients, and I've got one guy that I'm talking to about maybe underwriting a show. So just be nice. Hey, I grew up as an actuary. We make the we make the accountants look like party planners. Right. <laughs> well, CPAs. I mean, well, you tell me about CPAs. How do you move? Them I think they're into- fantastic people, and I think they should consider underwriting their own show. <laughs> do you hear me, Bill? <laughs> Well, Mo, you share with me some <laughs> best practices for a CPA or somebody yeah. with that. I mean, that's they're not wired that way, no. in my experience. No. So, in in you brought up brain type. You said that word. We actually measure people's brain types. So we use a we use a tool called a, a herm- scale. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Usually CPA's brains are 20%, 23.2% bigger than other people's. Um, actuaries are 24%. Of course, it goes well. <laughs> Radio talk show hosts? Or down I don't want to tell you what that is. It's, it's, it's not good. That's embarrassing. It's not, oh, you should see instructional designers. I don't even want to go where Leanne is here. Um, but, we, but, but no joke, we can actually measure not the weight of somebody's brain, but their preferences in four right. major areas. And I, we can go into more detail on those areas if you want. But the quick version is uh, a lot of times these technical professions are really left brain centric. They're really analytical, mm-hmm. which is part of left brain. And the second piece that's really important is they're very cautious and planful and things like that. So when we work with groups like CPAs, uh, highly technical consultants, uh, lawyers, litigators, folks like that, what we've got to do is start with where they're at. So where we, what we would typically do in that case, which is very different than, say, working with marketing agencies, which right. we trade the opposite. Yeah, right. it's, it's the opposite side. Right. So with highly technical folks, we start with the behavioral science and we show them that business development has every bit of analytics associated as their technical craft. And we help them understand what a buyer needs to feel from a behavioral science perspective, to be excited about moving from step to step to step through the Mm -hmm. process and what those steps are. So we can show the science of the behavior and we can show the steps of the process. And accountants, your example from before, it'd be the same with other technical professions, really, really love that piece. Right, because that fits into their world, the way they they see the world. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of the audit version of (laughs) of business development. Give me that sales checklist. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we can show them that. And then we can pull them over into the right brain stuff of creativity, innovation, human relationships, empathy, things like that afterwards. But we've got to sort of start with where they're at. And then if you were dealing with a marketing firm, you would build it from the other side. Exactly. And then work the analytical side. Exactly. A, qu- a quick story on that, I think, which is one of my favorite moments from last year. We trained the largest marketing agency in Africa. And one of our top facilitators, a guy named Marshall, was over there. He's also a musician. And what I hear back from the story is that, first of all, they loved the training. They got so much out of it. Their COO came over um, to, uh, to say thank you. We all went out to lunch a couple months later. It was great. The video the COO shows me is of Marshall playing guitar on a break and all the people in the class dancing around, <laughs> singing along right. with him. So Marshall sort of connected right. um, on the right brain stuff and pulled them over to the process piece. Right. What's neat about Marshall is he's also an ex-general counsel and he's got a JD from the University of Michigan Law mm-hmm. School. So when he works with lawyers, 
he probably wouldn't whip out his guitar. <laughs> They're not dancing. dancing. <laughs> you don't have that same video. <laughs> right. The but he King was... and Spalding folks in the circle. You exactly. Know? <laughs> yeah. We, we can, we can, uh, we can pull in the uh, em- empathy, empathy <laughs> stuff later, but, but yeah. So when he works with the lawyers, you're really starting with analytics in the process. You pull over the other pieces. Right. When, when, when you start with agency folks, you're really talking about the big idea and how your clients are going right. to love it. And then you pull them over to the process and the analytics. So what triggered all this for you? You were a practitioner and then you saw the light or yeah, yeah, yeah. take us to the backstory. <laughs> it was stress. It was stress <laughs> that began the whole thing. Um, I, uh, I started out my career as an actuary, which was obvious, right? Yeah, That's what yeah, everybody sure. should do. That was when I was a kid, I was dreaming of that. <laughs> Me it too. was a cowboy, fireman, and actuary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what everybody does, right? And I chose that because it was uh, the starting salary on average was $500 more than FBI agent, <laughs> which were the two careers that I went to in my first, uh, my high school's first career day. No joke. That's, how, that's why I chose it. And after uh, 10,000 hours of being in a dark room studying, I emerged from the other side oh, of right. that. I'd passed all these exams to be, get the highest ex- designation. And the company I was at named uh, Hewitt Associates, which is now Aon Hewitt. You might have heard of them. Maybe they should be a, a client of yours. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll talk Call about me, Ann. <laughs> uh, uh, we had the whole thing orchestrated in the month after I passed my last exam. It takes about 10 years to get through all these exams. Uh, about a month after I finished, they moved me over to account management. And I worked with some really smart people. I was personally paired with a guy named Andy who taught me so much. And a tremendous amount of stress sets in when you've been this really deep practitioner. I mean, you can't think of something more narrow and deep than being an actuary, right? You just, there's nothing that exists in the world. And you, in a month's time, I moved my offices and now I've got to represent hundreds and hundreds of things that Hewitt sells, right. which are $100 million health and welfare outsourcing contracts, pension strategies, engagement service, executive compensation, right. work hired by the board of big Fortune 500 companies. When you, when you go from this little tiny sliver of Wait, what you're which representing... Which you were the expert. Like that sliver, I no, was the expert. no one could stump you right. in that sliver, right? I'm a 31-year-old <laughs> advising 60-year-old right? But you knew people. everything. You knew the ins and outs. There was no answer you didn't have. I had it. Right? The spreadsheets were so big when you press calc, you'd have to wait 20 minutes. <laughs> right. You have to, <laughs> to you could leave. Yeah. Come back. It would oh, still you'd, be. You'd time your bathroom breaks <laughs> right. around when you're going to press F9. Right. So, <laughs> that, so you're in that world. So that's yeah. a, a mindset of confidence. And I got this. There's no way you that got it. someone smarter than me you in got this it. area. Right. 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 Now you're going over here. Yeah. And now it's. The Wild West, right? Now I'm working instead of with a benefits manager on this area, like you say, that I know everything about, right? Nobody can stump the actuary. Um, and if and if they ever do, you just say, oh, it's actuarial science. <laughs> right. And then everybody goes, oh, just okay. Try. I got 10 years. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so you go from that to now working with chief human resource officers, Fortune 100 companies on their talent strategy. And you've got to be able to talk that language. A right. tremendous amount of stress sets in. And I was used to this world where somebody could hand me 1,200 pages of materials and over 600 hours of study, you would memorize it. That's how you pass the actuarial exams. And you could literally memorize every page of 1,200 pages of materials if you spend a lot of time doing that. That's why the actuarial science designation is hard. Well, I was used to people giving me information and me digesting it by reading it, memorizing it. And I was frustrated to no end that I couldn't find a book that showed me how to do business development in a way that was right for my clients, that I could develop long-term relationships, that would be helpful to Hewitt, that I would win, 
and they would win even more. Right. And you do this in a way that it was sort of agnostic to what you were promoting. Like the same system would work for a two-year sales cycle on a $100 million health and welfare outsourcing deal, and the same process worked for a $10,000 uh, strategy right. session you were going to run. It's because of human beings. Because we're human beings. <laughs> right? That screws up everything. Exactly. Stress sets in. So I started writing white papers to myself. <laughs> no joke. I've got this actuarial mindset. It's the manual. You yeah. the manual. I was trying to find the manual, right? So I started writing it. And over the course of about six or eight years, I became one of the top producers. We didn't use that word, but, but produced a lot of the biggest, most multinational, largest projects we'd ever won at Hewitt. Had a lot of fun doing that. And this white paper grew writing only myself. I never even showed it to anybody. And I thought it was just for me. I started picking up tidbits from a gal named Carol, who was an amazing networker, and a guy named Andy, who was really, really good at using strategy to, to promote other products and services of ours. Um, a guy named Jason was like the smartest guy in a room, and he would win by being challenging. And he would, he would, uh, he would push people to their limits. Right. A lot of people didn't like working with him, but the people who did really loved, loved it, it right? right? And I started to pick up all these tidbits and writing it down and developing and coalescing this process. So how many pages is this white paper? Well, now it's seven or eight hundred pages because it's a product, and <laughs> right. it's it's like this love and and what we what we um what we provide to our our clients. So now but it's at the, the time blueprint it was, for your company. That's exactly it. At the time, it was maybe forty. It got to be where it's like forty or fifty pages, mm -hmm. and then that was the genesis of. So how would you utilize it? Like you would write the so you would get the information. So how did how did you practically utilize that? I would carry it around in my bag like a tattered. Really? Bible of business <laughs> development, and I would read it. So there was a little section on creating demand. There was a little section on how do you handle a first meeting so that you have the highest percentage chance of getting a second meeting? How do you provide helpful advice to your clients that may have nothing to do with what you actually sell, mm -hmm. right? How can yeah. you become this resource that people put you on their speed dial? And, you know, there weren't cell phones at the time, <laughs> right. but there was speed dial. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you elevate your status because you're so valuable in the way that you think about problems and in the advice and the assets that you're providing your clients that they can't help but pay attention to you? And that's really what the whole thing was about. Because if you do those things, you'll create pull through demands for right. the Right, so you're looking at it kind of through the eyes of the client. Yes. Not through yourself, right? Yes. In fact, our tagline now is um, designing a better buying process. Like we, we actually abhor the word selling because that sort of promotes, I've got stuff and I'm pushing it on you. Right. Right. But if you think about designing a better buying process and figure out with behavioral science, why do people want to make the next step with you? Then business development becomes fun. Then you're being helpful. Mm -hmm. Then you're doing it in a way the other person wants right. to be it's a part of. You're winning. Right. And you're not even really worried about yourself too much. So do you find in your own sales and marketing that eating your own cooking and kind of being a, a living, walking, yeah. talking example yeah. is, is really helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, bet. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we, we used to call it eating our dog food and Darla, who runs our whole operation, said, that, that's not good. We should, we drink our own champagne. Drink our own here. champagne. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's much better. It's a lot better. That's classier. But yeah, then they're seeing it in action, right? They and, are. Yeah. They're, they're, we, we've got a principle called uh, give to get where we're always finding valuable ways to offer something to our clients in a way that promotes ourselves and, the, and they fall in love with us along the right. way. But we're doing it through advice and being helpful, right? And I can remember a time I was in a first-time client meeting. I described the process about how you don't want to randomly give to get. You want to do these in ways that are aligned with 
how you'd like to promote your services, right? So the if you offer a one-hour uh, strategy session, you don't do that randomly. You do it on a topic that could lead to somebody purchasing your work yeah. and being excited about it, right? So I'm describing this to a person I've never mm-hmm. met before and describe the give-to-get concept. And then maybe 15 or 20 minutes, we're sort of wrapping up. And I think I said something like, hey, would it be helpful if we came back and offered such and such, right? And the person said, hey, is that a give-to-get? I'm like, it sure is. Doesn't it feel good? And he goes, oh, it feels great. And uh, so the drink your own champagne thing's really neat because you can be this embodiment of being helpful. People see it and you can be totally transparent about it. Right. And they're having fun with it. You're having fun with it. And you're advancing your, your uh, business development along the way. And it sounds very authentic. It doesn't sound transactional or manipulative. It's a perfect word. That's a perfect word. And that's so important for these highly technical professionals that we work with, because if it's not authentic, if they sense that you're trying to do something manipulative. Like a bait and switch, then they're like, forget it, it's game over, right? Doesn't feel right and wouldn't feel right to us, doesn't feel right to them. And there's a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, selling methodologies, I'll put air quotes Mm -hmm. around that that really are about being manipulative. Mm -hmm. And those just, those might work for a retail sales person or people that we wouldn't usually work with or wouldn't, but but that's just stuff that's not going to work for a very smart, brainy, highly technical person like we work with. And then what's the sweet spot of your clients? Anybody that's in this, uh, for, for lack of a better word, the seller-doer kind of model. The professional services a mm-hmm. lot? About half our business is professional services, so that's lawyers, accountants, marketing agencies, consultants, folks like that. Uh, Sotheby's the high-end art auctioneer. If you can imagine, they're experts all around the world working with billionaires to consign or buy uh, $35 million Rothko paintings. We've trained their folks all over the world. So like uh, those professional services, I would lump them there, is about half our business. And then about half our business is really technical industries. So we talked about healthcare before, Aetna, Express Groups, organizations like that. Mm -hmm. So walk us through, if you will, your engagement cycle, or, or at least some of the early phases of it. Do, it sounds like it's built on an extremely solid foundation of yes. genuinely serving first, but yes. walk us through some other pieces of it. If and you th- would. This is called the grow big system. This yes. is what you call that. Oh, I yep. call it the Mo methodology. The Mo big. The Mo big. Yeah. You can use that. <laughs> is that free? Yeah, yeah, that's do right. I have to pick? That's a it's gift a to gift get. To get. <laughs> I like you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So well, your question, is it about sort of the onboarding or like once somebody starts with us? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both, I think. I'm just trying to envision. Like, you know, they're, like they're a stranger to you and then you've met them and then you do your, I guess you have an entry point. Yeah, that's perfect. So so if we, if we take the cycle to like contract, the way it usually works is we've got a strategic partner or so many of our clients recommend us to people because they mm-hmm. love what mm-hmm. we do. They're, they see the results. They can measure it. Mm-hmm. So they can measure both leading indicators of behavior and lagging indicators of financial results because that's part of our program. So our clients generally provide tons of referrals. So let's say they introduce to somebody we haven't met. In that first meeting, whether it's a phone call or in person, we like to start with them, right? So asking questions around what they're trying to accomplish. Typically, it's a Salesforce effectiveness leader or a leader of a division or a line of business or a practice area if it's a consultant. And, and what's the pain they're having? Growth, typically. And uh, two things around growth. One is having people have a common system, number one, which is really important. And the number two, maybe lack of growth, or if there is some growth, not as much as there should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those could be specific things around like cross-servicing, or they could be, we've got one line of business that's doing great, but this other one's not, you know, things like that. 
So we have that first meeting, ask tons of smart questions because typically we've done some research around the organization and, and also the person providing the referral typically helps us on the back end. And we're asking lots of questions about very specifically what are they worried about? And then we're trying to find a way to be helpful. An example happened right before I drove over to the radio show. Uh, a guy named Kevin, super smart guy at a very large organization, <clears throat> is working on really trying to find that common system across all of their account reps. And they've got, if you include their managers, just in one division, they've got 7,000 people that, they're, that are either account reps or managers yeah, of those They don't want reps. to make a mistake in this. You, yeah, yeah, you don't <laughs> want to mess it up, right? Well, what really connected with Kevin was what we call Grow Big Achieve Leader Training. And this, this, is, uh, this is training that helps an individual be a really, really great leader or coach. Most people are promoted from the account rep side because they're really great account reps and they're never taught how to be really, really great coaches or leaders. Right. It's a real big problem out there. Um, so our metaphor, really our analogy around that typically is if you look at great sports teams, the, the person who's a, the, who, the, who are the, the people who are the great managers or coaches mm -hmm. usually weren't the best players. Right. They're never the star. Right. Yeah. It's very rare, right? And the best stars usually aren't the best coaches or players. Right. Why is that? Is it because it comes so easy to them? And so they just like, just get up there and hit the ball. It's what yeah, I did. Exactly. Is that, it. Is that what it is? It's that idea. I think, I, I'm not sure if this is a Ken Blanchard thing, but it's somebody, it, this idea of unconscious competence. Typically people who are really, really great at something don't even know why they're great because right. it's so obvious to them. So it's difficult for them to communicate that to others. Mm -hmm. What Grow Big Achieve Leader Training does is it helps it helps people that were really great at what they do learn how to be great coaches. Back to your question with Kevin, that conversation and that analogy to the sports team really struck a chord with him. So what ended up being the next step, which is being helpful, is we're going to give a little talk to all of his learning and development and Salesforce effectiveness people Friday. And we're going to talk about some of the components that we found are helpful in helping people make that transition from rep to really, really great coach. Well, that'll be helpful for Kevin. It'll be helpful for us. Mm -hmm. We get exposure. And then we've already talked about it. The step after that would be getting in the room for three to four hours and really mapping out what could be a process that they could train those 600 managers to be really, really great at managing as opposed to just being super reps that are just sort of taking the bigger deals and handling it themselves, which I think is what's happening now. Well, and you really need those managers on board uh, as well when you get ready to implement any of the, we don't use the S word, the business, business development, development training. <laughs> uh, because if you don't, the, the managers will untrain them quicker than you can train them, right? It's so true. And it's it, it's so important. And probably, the, and probably to your point, the most important thing about rolling out our program isn't actually the frontline training, it's the manager training. And getting those folks ready to implement it day in and day out over a period of years. Because we're talking about behavior change that doesn't happen quickly. So those managers have got to be all over it and know how to elevate the talent on their teams. So that must be a critical part of your whole methodology, your whole engagement cycle. You're getting them on board early and often. <laughs> it's a really big deal. Yeah, it's a really big deal. It's where all the magic is. 
Now, what about the compliance element of this? You know, once you've trained them and given them the information, how do you make sure that they're, you know, staying with the plan? Yeah, so that's really up to the organization and the senior, senior leadership. So if you think of a third tier, if the first tier is that frontline person, they could be a partner in a law firm or consulting firm, they could be an account rep at a, at a, at a big technical organization. That manager training we talked about, that's how they're going to stay on top of their folks. We figure out, me- we work with them to figure out measures that they can measure, <laughs> metrics that they can measure so that they know from a leading indicator perspective, which we which we define as things that are 100% in the rep's control or the partner's control, what leading indicators do we think will correlate to more business, lagging indicator, that they can measure on a weekly or monthly basis typically so that frontline manager can be looking at the behaviors, sort of subjective at times, but correct leading indicators um, can tell us if we're making progress or not. And then those same measures can get rolled up to that third tier, the senior leadership, to your point, and then they can be managing the managers. Right. So in a really big organization, you might have four layers there, but typically three or four is the, is the number. And if that top senior leader is looking at who are my managers that are doing a great job, how can I share learnings across that team? How can I figure out how to get what Sue's doing so well over to to Fred's uh, territory. Right, like kind of a best practice and then roll out and share the learning kind of. You got it. Now, do you create a dashboard like for the top level people to kind of at a glance see what's going on? Because I can see there's a lot of moving parts here. Correct. Um, That can be done typically in the CRM. Mm-hmm. So at really, really big organizations, they've got some kind of CRM involved. Uh, law firms use interaction a lot. A lot of people are using um, Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce, Organi- and there's a ton so more So you're programmed there. agnostic to the system, and then you can just implement the kind of the, um, what are the KPIs that yeah. are relevant? Good buzzword. He doesn't know, know what it means. I don't know what it means. That was solid. <laughs> I read it. <laughs> was, that you, was that somebody you dated in college? <laughs> yeah, KPI. <that> was- <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> no, but you're exactly right. Where the where the it to us, it's whatever technology people have in place, let's leverage that. Right. Typically most people are unhappy with their CRM because they're not getting compliance and it doesn't and matter, using it. It doesn't matter what CRM yeah, is. Yeah, right? it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> exactly. I mean it, the they're same, not happy. People say the same words <laughs> right. like, oh, we thought it was mm-hmm. gonna be great and nobody uses it. Well, a lot of times that's because it's a great tool for management, but a not a great tool for the frontline rep. Right. So what we can do with these leading indicators is we can actually make it a great tool for the frontline rep too, mm-hmm. because they're setting goals in a really manageable chunk, mm-hmm. like on a weekly or monthly basis. And then the, the the CRM helps them track those. So now it becomes a strategic tool for the frontline person. And then those roll up to the manager, those roll up to the leadership. Now, if you were to give a give to get for uh, our listeners, what would be some of the kind of best practices that Maybe they can implement just listening to you. Some like easy stuff. Yeah. Um, let's let's focus in on that manager role because we could do this in a lot of different ways. One thing that we see that's really important for managers, here's a little gift to get, is to look at the managerial process in a whole-brained way. You know, we talked about those four elements. Right. Strategy and implementation are two impl- opposing pairs. Those are two of the four. And then measures and celebration are, are two opposing pairs. If a manager can think about what things in those four do I usually do and what things do I usually neglect, and that's going to typically move with their thinking preferences, you know, the measures we talked about before, we all have different preferences for those four things. Are they self-aware enough to do that? No, 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 no. (laughs) Most people have a very strong bias to typically two of those four. 
And we can talk about the data and the 3 million people in the database and things like that. Most people have more than one preference, but most people also have a lot less than four. Mm -hmm. Only 3% of the 3 million people in this database have all four equally. So that means somebody's neglecting something. So if somebody's a measurer and more, they're more analytically minded, they're probably measuring the heck out of their people and whacking them over a head because they're really direct. <laughs> right, right. It's so obvious to them. You're 23% behind plan. It's only February and I've done the math and you only right. got 10 months left. It. And that means that you're going to have to up your plan by 2% per month on the rest. Of, right. So somebody that is oriented that way is typically to bias towards that, but they might not be good at thinking through what's the next incremental step that this rep or this partner needs to make. that's the implementation side. And how do I celebrate that little incremental movement, the celebration part, that's in the direction of their strategy for their territory or their book of business, the more strategic part. So if you're only measuring, you're neglecting those other three things. So what a great manager does is they do all four. They figure out individually, rep by rep, what's the next big thing for them. It's the big idea. What are little chunks I can measure little weekly or monthly chunks over the course of a year that I can be moving forward. How do I measure that? Even if it's subjective, how do I measure if if that person's doing the things I need them to do? And then how do I celebrate all the little incremental steps as opposed to only the big wins, which typically organizations do a great job of celebrating these really big, massive wins, but that can actually hurt the reps, because it becomes this big, mysterious things that, oh, Sally's really good at that. I could never do that. No, right. no, no. You want to celebrate the little bitty things yeah. to show people that it's a bunch of little things that add up to the right. big one. And then they feel like they can do it. So if, if that's a good gift that's to get, great. it's like thinking of how do you manage your team in all four of those quadrants? There's magic in that. Very, very few people do that naturally. This is such good mojo. Yeah. <laughs> You've been waiting to say I've, that. I've been waiting 20 minutes. Right. To, to yeah. say. <laughs> you knew when something paused, that's the red button right. you can that's press. A, how am I going to fit this in? <laughs> I got 30 minutes to fit this in. <laughs> I got to uh, say Bojo. All kidding aside, we got to have you back because I, I get the sense that there's this whole change management, change yeah. leadership dynamic layer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I want, I want to have you come back. And want to, I want to have you speak to that either on this show or, or maybe on James Dallas's uh, right. uh, Change Masters uh, show. But I think it might be fun too if you were to come back, if you have a local client yeah, and, uh, and, and maybe talk about that relationship. Yeah. yeah, I think that could be a, a fun kind. So are you up for that sometime? I'm so up for that. We I did a webinar with a guy named Mike and he is ridiculously funny. And somebody emailed us later and said, you guys need to have a radio show. <laughs> the Mo and Mike show. So like, hey, maybe, like maybe you're the outlet. For that. <laughs> That's perfect. He'd have fun with that. Well, this has been an absolute delight and we are going to have you back. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Leanne, thank you. And You're then, so but, welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah. But if somebody wanted to learn more, website for you guys? Yeah. Uh, Bunnell, B-U-N-N-E-L-L, two N's and two L's, ideagroup.com. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor, our producer, Alex Shiflett, our guest today, Mo Bunnell, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights. 